Hello, this is Jesse Liberty, and this is yet another podcast. Today I have Madge Turgeson, who is the lead designer of C Sharp and a PM at Microsoft, and also Dustin Campbell, who's an architect focusing on C Sharp and .NET tooling at Microsoft. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great. Yeah, fantastic. It's uh it's a gas to have you here. We're going we're going to talk about C Sharp eleven. To my count, there's a whole lot of new stuff in C Sharp eleven. And what I'd like to do is A focus on the things that are going to affect application programmers rather than uh, library programmers, and B talk more about when and why you would use something rather than how to, how to use it. I think the documentation is excellent. Uh, I'm sure the documentation also talks about when and why, but what I'm looking for is here's the problem I ran into. Oh, here's this new thing that'll solve it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. We'll try our best. Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, great. So uh, I, I noticed right away that there was a whole bunch of stuff about number and mm-hmm. generics around mm-hmm. number. And can, can you tell me what that's about? Why that's important? Well, so it is a little bit, It this is sort of for both library writers and also um, application, because this is all about, you know, if you think about very broadly what makes object-oriented programming so successful and functional programming for that matter as well, is that you can abstract over some things really well so that you can write reusable code um, that works in many different specific scenarios. And um, and in the way that C-sharp and many object-oriented languages do uh, math, there was just a big hole there because... Um, yes, we have user-defined operators in C-sharp. We've always had them. And they let you define pluses and minuses and so on for all your types. But there's no way that you can abstract over that and say, hey, I want to write this thing, this number algorithm, this thing that computes something in an abstracted way that works for all the things that have plus and minus and star. So there was no abstraction for them. And in general, for, for static memory, anything that's static, like a factory or other things you do, um, the static method, property, or operator. Right? When, and, when you... When when you say abstraction, tell me the relationship between abstra- what you mean by abstraction and generic. Well, uh, abstraction can, there's sort of two ways in C, since C Sharp 2, there's kind of two ways really that you can write code that is general, that works for many different kinds. One is to use, you know, object-oriented programming. You have a base type, it has virtual methods, um, and you just write in terms of the base type and the virtual methods will make sure that the actual concrete type ends up doing the right. Um, but that very much depends on those virtual methods. And then there's generics, which is you, you write something that has type parameters, and you say, and you can have uh, strengths on those, saying, I don't know what type is coming in here, but it's got to implement this into and And then you can assume that that whatever T is, you know, in inside of the body of it, um, it'll it'll have the interface interfaces members. And you, so these are kind of two different ways, and they, they supplement each other. But up until now, they kind of both sucked when it came to um, when it came to operate, because they're always... Anything static. And right? anything static. Yeah. yeah. So... We said, well, let's try to figure that out. We looked at some other languages and, and kind of what, what kinds of mechanisms they had. Um, and what, how, you know, there are some functional languages that are really good at this, um, for instance. And so that led us to this idea that if we, let's say that static members in interface could also be virtual, um, that would give a, you know, be really simple to say, well, this interface has a static abstract plus operator. Um, and then it's really simple to say that somebody who implements that interface, well, they have to provide plus operator. 
of it. That part of it is kind of like slam dunk. So the, the, the hard part though is, um, well, how do you call that plus operator and get the right thing to happen? Because if you, if you use virtual instead of virtual methods, there's a real object there somewhere that has a real type mm -hmm. and it'll just go at runtime and say, I'll do it my way. You know, um, for, for static virtuals, you have to use generic. So, so the way it, it works is that if you want to write, let's say, um, a little numeric algorithm that's abstracted, then you take a type parameter into that algorithm that is, this is the kind of thing I will be plusing and minusing. And then you put a constraint on it saying, I am a number, I number, yeah. you know, and that, um, and that, you know, uh, tells the compiler that T is some, T is something that implements the, those operators. And now you can use the operators or the static members on T itself inside of the suit. So you kind of combine the mechanism of virtual methods with the mechanism of generic makeup. Yeah. So then you can have kind of the library feature, which is really right from the, from, from C sharp's perspective, it's about interfaces being able to have static things that get implemented on types that, that we can then prove later that they're implemented through generics and through it. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the, the number thing really comes from the library pieces that take advantage of that and build out this huge kind of, uh, robust set of interfaces that model numeric things and operations that you can do with them so that then you can go write generic methods that can be constrained to numbers that implement or to anything really that implements. Yeah. Um, and you can do stuff. Yeah. So there's kind of almost several levels of yeah. library writers here, right? Because there's us, quote unquote, in the dot, on the .NET team, writing interfaces for math. Like we have this whole library now that's uh, system.numerics that has all these math things in mm -hmm. it. Um, then there are other library writers who write uh, math libraries, right? Who write things that, that do computational things. And they can now write things generic. But what that means for the end application programmer is that you can you can now plug into somebody else's algorithms and so on with your own type. Um, or, it, you know, you know, if that's not even what you want to do, you still have the benefit of having math libraries that are, um, you know, generally applicable. They work on built-in types, they work on your types, and work on types that other people Im uh, implement because they all share these. Yeah. So, so is this where uh, static abstract factories, static virtual members, is all of that of a piece? Yes. Yeah. It's kind of all of the the sort of the the language, you know, features, kind of the the larger language features that then enable these generic uh, uh, as a as kind of a thing to be built on top. Yes. So the language doesn't do anything well. It does a little bit with operators. Little bit, yeah, but little bit, yeah. those, uh, there are a few other like just little bit bitty features that help that as well. But the main language feature itself has nothing to do with math. Say it's just that interfaces can have static, virtual, or abstract member and classes. That's all it is. That's a big thing. And you know, yeah. I, and the way I think of it is like Microsoft's implementation or Microsoft built on top of that this generic math library. But I'm kind of interested. I'm and I'm. I'm I'm very excited for, for C Sharp 11 getting out there and getting in people's hands to see what others do with that. Yeah. I think of it like, I actually think of this like a C Sharp 3 moment where we introduced Lambda expressions and, um, and really the world was taken by storm with, with kind of other ways of using these things and kind of there was just this outpouring of creativity uh, around how to build systems with the, and, uh, I kind of feel, I, I think this, I, I'm, uh, that we'll see more of that and I'm really excited. Other than, we'll, yes. be, we'll be talking about generic math usually, but, but I've got a feeling that we're going to see a lot of other really cool stuff. Yeah, we go ahead. I'm sorry. We stumbled on a few things mm -hmm. as, as we're playing with it, and even as part of the generic uh, math libraries here and there, you see, oh, here's this thing that you would do with one of the classic sign patterns, like factory, static yeah. factory. That is a classic design pattern. I, I mean, serialization libraries and, that are actually yeah. generic and uh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, because another classic design pattern is abstract factory. Mm-hmm. Right? And you have to use one or the other, you know, um, do I have a static factory and then, you know, its behavior is fixed or do I have an abstract factory? Then I kind of have to have this separate hierarchy of, of uh, factory classes, right? That, mm-hmm. um, and, and all of a sudden, wow, you can combine those two into one. You can have static effects and we just like, oh, oh, that's cool too. Yeah. And, and it's just, very simple, right? Yeah. Very simple to do. And it's just so powerful. And all of a sudden, you know, one of these, you know, we really moved the needle on one of these classic sets of sign patterns. And we're wondering, like, what else is there that we haven't even thought of? Mm-hmm. It's going to be, this is really the open-ended feature of the release. The one that we just, we're just excited to see what happens. So, yeah. So we're waiting for the library authors to, to go come up with really cool ideas. Uh, uh, but also then, it, this is one of those features you'd ask us to kind of distinguish between what's what's for application authors, what's for library authors. The, the application like generic, you know, an application author isn't expected to go write list of T, but the application author is expected to assume list of T all over them, right? And I think that's what this brings. It brings more opportunities for library authors to express interesting sort of systems that then application authors can go and consume and use in very expressive ways. Yeah. I've been spending a lot of time in .NET MAUI, and one of the parts that I consider actually part of .NET MAUI, although it's actually technically part of the community tool, are these generators that are based on attributes. Mm-hmm. And I, I note that in 11, there are generic attributes. Tell me what, what that's going to do for me and what, how that's going to enhance the use of attributes. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Generic, it's funny that all classes in C-sharp can be generic, except that. Yeah, it's just yeah. been like that since C-sharp <laughs> 2. It was like, and actually, I think the runtime enabled it all the way back. It was like yep. always something that was expressible in IL. And we tried a few times to say, why don't we just like turn it on and, you know, allow it in C-sharp? And we're like, well, it's, it hasn't really been tested well. And we're not sure all the runtimes do exactly the same thing and so we kind of just left it alone but really why shouldn't attributes also be able to be parameterized to type um i you know there I, can you think of it i mean this came up back um in the days when we were introducing meth and it was mm. we were constantly writing these export attributes or import attributes that had had types in them uh, as their contracts we just had generic attributes this would yeah. this would flow so much more naturally for me i get better tool be um i remember that being that's true yeah being a thing you could constrain it potentially and do uh all these other yeah. things that that you know would have made that a, just a little nicer. That's I remember true. I remember us talking yeah. about it back then. Yeah, because yeah, because how many times don't you have? Well, at least it happens to me all over the place where you use a type of in an attribute. Yeah, and that's just like now you're falling back to reflection essentially to express that a type quote unquote an argument that's a type when it could have just been a type argument. <laughs> and, and we've had tons of 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 systems built in .NET since the .NET Framework 1.0 days that took types as in in attribute uh, struct. Think about like um, old WinForms designer attribute and editor attributes and all those kinds of things we had, you know, that were kind of really at the heart of how, of you know, the core WinForms stuff back in .NET Framework 1.0. It's been awesome as generic attributes. Of course, we didn't have generics back then. Neither did we have generic attributes. Right. <laughs> back yeah. in today. So there, there are lots of cases, though, where that's so useful. So I, I think yeah. that's where I get. And the ability to constrain things, right? Constrain. You can use the type argument in the mm-hmm. in the uh, public surface area of the attribute. Yeah. Um, it's just a little thing that it. this is not like the, the huge feature of the release, but it's just one of those little paper cuts that, ah, oh, if I can yeah. only um, and now you can. Yeah, it's always a bump. Yeah, exactly. bump, yeah. So you said two magic words. You said constraint and you said types and that, of course, leads me to file scope types. <laughs> okay. Uh, you like that segue? Very different feature. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, now for something completely different. Uh-huh. Um, again, this is one of those little annoying things. Like you, you mentioned. So actually, the the real segue here was your mention of uh, of generators yeah. before. So there are a lot of uh, code generators around. Some of them nowadays are based on the source generator infrastructure you offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, one way or another, you you have a bunch of code that's kind of very local. Uh, sometimes it's generated. It sits in a file of its own and has its own set of little type stuff. And it's just so annoying. Then you compile, and then it's and then it's uh, clashing with something else that was generated somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. You know. So this. So we just wanted a way to say, well, this type here doesn't leave the file. Right. It's just here, and you can't talk about it anywhere else. And if you have something with the same name somewhere else, that's fine. They will not. They're not clash. They're not going to be able to see each other. Um. So it's just a little kind of visibility mechanism that is so convenient for not having to. When you think about a tool generating code, this is not just a bump. This is like a. I have to somehow figure out if there's someone else with it with that name, and then I have to append like a number to mine, or like it's just a big deal to deal with this small problem. <laughs> a and lot it, of these, yeah, a lot of generators got yeah. got thrown GUIDs on them, and yeah, <laughs> it was like, like, oh, this is a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> let me just whip up something huge and unwieldy to make sure it's unique, you know? Yeah. Um. So it's like solving a big problem in a narrow scenario with a small. Thing. Yeah. I. I, and it really was, as Matt says, it was, it was source generators was really the motivator for this feature because the way I like to think of it is like source generators are totally magic, right? Um, I'm not writing them. The library team's writing them. There's lots of lots of people are writing them. They're, they're complete. But as a, as a user, they're just magic. Mm. And when I can see the man behind the curtain, you know, I can see how the magic's done because, oh, a type pops up in IntelliSense or causes a compiler with my project because it shares the same name. Suddenly it doesn't feel so magic anymore. So this yeah. just lets them stay magic. Exactly. That's great. I love that. That perspective. It's that um, so the way this affects the application writer is that it makes type uh, you know the types generated by source generators not annoy them or interfere with yeah. their with their work. It kind of helps them stay hidden. That's a yeah great point. I like that. Okay, let's go to uh, patterns for a moment. Yeah, patterns in my mind is like the international dateline, and by that what I mean is that every time it's explained to me, it makes perfect sense, and then I walk away and don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now you've added list patterns. Yes. Yeah. So, so tell me about patterns and list patterns, and um, and tell me if these three things are related to patterns, which is sliceable and span of T and destructuring. Are those all? of a piece with patterns or do I have three different types? Uh, there are some different types. Span of T has nothing to do. With it. Okay. Um, but um, but patterns, yeah, you see, so the Earth is round and it spins <laughs> and it also rotates around the sun. Um, <laughs> there's a point of this international daylight. <laughs> um, yeah, pa- I mean, before C-sharp 7, there wasn't even, a th- patterns weren't a thing mm-hmm. and in C-sharp, you know, um, there was this thing that object-oriented languages didn't have because they didn't need them, we thought, because they had virtual methods. Patterns in, in functional languages, patterns were key to having what you could call shape-dependent or type-dependent behavior. Have this function in an object land, we would say this method, and it's the same function or method, but depending on what kind of thing comes in, it has to do different things. And for us, that's always been virtual method, right? In the object or anything. Just say, you know, put one one on the base type, and each one gets, each derived type gets to say how it's really done. In, in functional land, they, they turned it around, like right? the function is declared on its own, but then when it gets something in that's of a quote unquote base type, discriminating, mm-hmm. let's not go there. Yep. Um, it has to, it has to switch on that. It has to say, if it's this, do this. If it's that, do that. If it's those, do those. 
those things and and it uses patterns. Patterns are those things in in the, for the switch branches that say what something should look like for this for this branch to be picked. So it's sort of like a description of a shape. Like it's it's a condition that you can satisfy. But then it does a little more than that because once you've satisfied the condition of pattern, the pattern can also part of the pattern can be to extract some. The pattern can declare some variables that will then hold bits and pieces of the incoming value. Pattern. So case in point, I have a um, let's just use person uh, example. Uh, I have a person object coming in. I switch on it to see what kind of person it is. I find out it's student and I extract their student ID number uh, into a variable so that I can use it in, in the branch. That's what pattern. They are condition and it data extracting. Yeah, I, I I think we, you know, to to reason about them in C sharp, I think it really was helpful that we, you know, we went around with the is keyword. Um because is was already matching a pattern, if you will. Yeah. Right. And it was just matching, oh, is this a string? Is this, you know, a button? That kind of patterns just add on lets you be a little bit more specific or about that. And, you know, as you're getting specific about it, say, well, you know what? I'm going to need to remember this detail. Hmm. Um, now that you, now that I've matched that it's a button and it has a width greater than this, I need to remember the width so that I can use it in my calculation. That's the way I like to think. I like, I love thinking about it as like, so if I yes. was comfortable with before, uh, C sharp seven, yeah. uh, then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy, uh, yeah. after you. And it is is how it immediately became useful first added it because mm -hmm. think of how much code you've written where you did need to find out if something was a specific type and then and then cast it to that type yeah there's sort of two ways you can do it you can say is first and then cast or you could do as and then do a null check but both you kind of had to check twice yep. <laughs> and now you can instead of saying is string you can say is string s and now you have a variable called s that is yeah the string yeah it's it the is. same thing yeah um but it's got but it's typed to string so you don't have to do that yeah so that's an, a perfect example of combining the check and the mm -hmm. and the extraction. Uh, okay, I, I absolutely love that I can say is string s, but bring that back to more general patterns. Well, all patterns are like yeah. Some some just dig a little deep. Um, you can I mean you can also say is five right and now but you can also say is less than five less than operator followed by five is a pattern that that matches everything less than five. Um, but you can also start kind of using deconstruction patterns where you say I'm actually the pattern itself reaches into say the fields and property of a thing. Um, so you have these uh, property patterns that you know start with a curly, it's like an objectalizer, and you mention a property in there, and then you can apply a pattern to a specific property of the incoming. Say if so, essentially you can say if I'm a string and its length five, mm -hmm. <laughs> its length is equal um, to five, yeah, or it's greater than five, or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can start posing patterns like you have a little whole little language of asking questions about data. Um, and that's definitely just like you shouldn't put all your logic in one big expression <laughs> because that's too much of a good thing. Patterns can also be too much of a good thing if you like nest five deep, but they just have that capability to when it's, you know, when you need to go one or two deep and that's very useful and often becomes very, and this is kind of where we can bring it back to list pattern um, because once one kind of pattern you can now do is to say, well, if the thing coming in is list-like, you know, it has elements of the same type, it has length, um, has indexing, Mm -hmm. Then it becomes interesting to ask it questions like the first element. Um, what's your last element? What are all the elements in between the first and the last? That kind of. And the list pattern is a pattern that embodies those. Right. And those can be that checking can be again just like any pattern. It could be a 
It can be just purely matching something. You can say, well, only matches have this as their first element. This is their last element, or mm -hmm. in at least this many members. That, or you can be and, and and also, I guess you can be pulling out the data as you do it. So it's uh in and my my uh um my practice so far is that it's I've found all sorts of code that I can correct with this, but sometimes it's not obvious because because the code that I was writing before to dig into a list, check okay, first or default, and check what its first element was, and and okay, the, was its count greater than this? Okay, then I need to check the last element, all of that gets rolled pad now. And it yeah. really removes kind of a ton of just kind of just this, you know, pedantic sort of boilerplate of poking at lists and trying to do it in a way that was um was was correct and not error prone. And yeah. and list patterns just solve a lot of that. Yeah, that's a and that's a good point about patterns. They they often replace very imperative code mm -hmm. like if then else, nested if then else's and so on, which are I mean, I think we all know the feeling of maintaining those, how how hard it can be to track for each sort of like deepest point how you know how did i get here what's the, what's yep, the full yep. state of things now that i'm down here and which cases have i now covered um and patterns in general help with that they help with it visually in that you can much better see what you're dealing with and what you're not dealing with they also actually help with it uh checking one because patterns are very strongly checked by the compiler and various they will and the compiler will give you a very nice warning if you're not covering all the cases mm -hmm. saying uh here's an example of a value you're not dealing with that's it can do that kind of analysis which it can never do right. anything else it can also say okay uh in a switch um expression which or switch statement a switch expression in particular it can watch you both it can say you know what you're never going to get to this pattern because the ones just before it they covered all the cases that this one does yep so it'll help you kind of it'll help you with the, the hygiene of your code the maintenance of it kind of the correctness of it at the same time at the same time as it helps with the the, the visual declarative itself i mean patterns just help the, the compilers just it's easier for the compiler to prove yeah. some of these things in pattern. And then a third thing that it does is that we are, this is something that we've got better at since Link, I have to admit. Mm. We lean very heavily as compiler implementers into implementing the patterns the most efficient way. Yeah. So they will often end up being more efficient than the equivalent straightforward imperative code you could have written. Uh, we know how to extract common sub-expressions and what order to do tests in and when to do them so that we do the minimal amount of work and we take the liberty um, not you, but we 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 take the <laughs> to um, to leave some things open in the semantics of patterns that we haven't le left open in more imperative uh, past. Like say we don't know whether we're gonna evaluate your property or not. It depends on whether we're gonna need it, and so we kind of assume that you're writing well-behaved, non-side affecting code in the places that shouldn't be side affecting. And then um, by making that assumption, we can write like these super efficient things. Okay. That sounds great, and and makes me again want to go back and 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 find the article that we were discussing on patterns. And and uh, the thing I always run into is trying to find that moment where I say, "Aha, this is a place to use a pattern." And uh, I think I'm sure that once you start using them, you get more accomplished at identifying. But uh, you know I'll what you, I find right now is that sometimes it, it's uh, would would this be a good place for patterns? I tell you, Jesse, the first time I used pattern, I was actually in a Windows Forms app, and I had an event handler that the object sender could have been a combo box or a button and 
I was doing the, and because it comes in as an object and I just, oh, if is button B, then do this. If is, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, combo box CB, then do this, right? And I was like, oh, well, that, and, uh, and ever, and ever since that opened the door for me and I've just been patterned all the way. Yeah. Uh, but it was in like a very classic application. Found it. Yeah. I think the analogy to getting used to Lambda expressions and understanding what they're doing and what they buy you is not far. And, and, and Lambda expressions, I think for a lot of us took a little while to get our heads around exactly what this was buying. And then once we did, we never went back. And yeah, I suspect yeah, yeah, the totally. same would be true with that. I'm sorry? That's, That's a really good, good one. Yeah. yeah. And it and and to be sure, we didn't know where or how far we were going to go with Pat on first use. Yeah. I remember we uh, even the, the initial design we had, we decided we dropped about half before we released Pat of time. Rather shortly before Dustin and my build talk, yeah. saying, we were like, these are these last minute scrambles. And we just decided to go all the way back to base basics on like just the simple type checking scenarios and so on. Because we were, A, we knew that those, those were the ones that would most immediately resonate folks, like scenario that would be adjacent to things people are already doing. And B, we wanted to learn from the community and from what code kind of evolved, what would be the right next steps, if any. And, and it turned out that um, we've had a really good run of doing more and more things with patterns mm-hmm. almost every release since and giving them more texture and getting them to, you know, to where they apply to more scenarios. And I still feel like we are on track with like a feature that feels like it was designed in, in one go. 